Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 184 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a tremendous holiday, whichever holiday you happen to be celebrating. And if you weren't celebrating, well, hope you enjoyed some time off and some quality NFL action as we push into the final weekend of the year. Yes, that's right. Our next episode will be in 2024. Doesn't it feel like this one flew by? Then again, the last couple of them feel like they've flown by more than normal, but maybe that's just the passage of time. Either way, before we get philosophical, this is like the third week in a row I've had to say something like that. Before we go down a weird path, let's get back on the straight and narrow, and let's jump right in to my standout seven. Now, we're going to go bigger story for the top three as usual, but there is no bigger story than the push for the playoffs. So number one in the standout seven, let's just get a nice little playoff picture update. Since we're in week 17 here, we've got some playoff spots getting locked up, starting with the Super Bowl losing conference, the National Football Conference. We've got right now four spots locked up. The Niners at 11-4 and four are the current one seed. The Eagles, 11-4, and four are the current two seed. Their division still up for grabs. Three seed locked up. NFC North locked up for the Detroit Lions. I believe San Francisco has also clinched their division. Right now they are three up with two to go. So yes, NFC West locked up. NFC North locked up. Uh, other playoff spot locked up in the NFC. The five spot, which is the top wild card, and that's the Dallas Cowboys currently at 10-5. and five. The four seed, keeping it out of order, as is tradition. Um, the NFC South leading Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 8-7. and seven. The sixth seed, 8-7 and seven LA Rams. Seven seed, 8-7 and seven Seattle Seahawks. In the hunt, we've got four teams at 7-8, and eight, and technically the Bears, but we don't need to go there. The Minnesota Vikings are your 8th seed currently. The Packers at 9, the Saints at 10, the Falcons at 11. Worth noting, and as we're going to push into the schedule part later for the pick'em portion, big matchups for each of these teams in the hunt. Green Bay is playing the Vikings. The Saints are, pay, are excuse me, playing Tampa Bay. The Falcons are playing the aforementioned Chicago Bears, which is coincidental. Uh, in the American Football Conference, fresh off of a impressive victory, and we'll talk about that in a sec. The Baltimore Ravens are your one seed at 12-3. and three. Not locked up yet in the division, however. Two seed Miami Dolphins, 11-4. and four, Not locked up yet either. And the five seed, top wild card right now, guaranteed a playoff spot, the 11-5 Flacco-led Cleveland Browns. At the three spot, we've got the AFC West leading defending champs, Kansas City Chiefs at 9-6. and six. The Jaguars holding on to a percentage, well, not really percentage points, a tiebreaker lead in their division at 8-7. and seven. Your two other wild cards right now, the Bills at 9-6 and six and the Colts at 8-7. and seven. In the hunt, you've got five teams. Three eight and sevens, the Texans, the Bengals, and Steelers in that order. And two AFC West teams wrapping up at 11 and 12, the Raiders and the Broncos. Both of which we will, well, at least we'll be discussing the Broncos in a little bit. That's where we stand here in week, I guess, 16 and a half, because we have played technically one game in week 17. But, you know, who's counting? Biggest winner of the week, and there's a reason this has been fleshed out, and it's because the list is long. There were a lot of teams that needed wins, and there were teams that got them. Let's start at the back of the pack. 
the Atlanta Falcons. Now, why are they at the back of the pack? Well, they were playing the Colts. Okay, without Michael Pittman. All right. Jonathan Taylor came back, but the Falcons' defense did the job. They were very effective. Gardner Minshew threw for 201 yards and an interception. Taylor Heineke looked all right. 23-33, 229, no picks. Bijan Robinson actually touched the football 19 times. Set off a fire alarm in the stadium, why don't you? Kyle Pitts, on the other hand, just three grabs for 49. Drake London, three catches for 39. But who's counting? Big win for them. They're trying to stay in contention. I think they're trying to save their head coach's job. Also, you're playing another team that's hunting a playoff spot. Why not derail their year? If we're unhappy, let's make everyone unhappy. Big win for the Atlanta Falcons. Next up in the order here, let's take a look at the Miami Dolphins. Now, you might be saying, Nick, how does a team beating the Colts go ahead of a team beating the Dallas Cowboys? Well, I'd say we're going 5-1. to one. Uh, Also, it's really a loose order. The Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins were very similar. They had high-powered offenses led by CeeDee Lamb, led by Tyreek Hill. Um, QBs who have been known on occasion to throw the ball to the other team, Dak more than Tua, but Tua's made his fair share as well. Um, and additionally, both teams were kind of being brought up on conspiracy to be frauds charges here. Um, additionally, Miami had this one at home, right? They let Dallas claw their way into the lead here. Um, it really came down to a fumble at the goal line by the fullback that for some reason Dallas decided to feature. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Cowboy fan. Comment section before you're listening has one or social media, all social media at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. I don't believe he's been featured in this offense much all year. He touched the ball about three times in the first 10 plays, and after the fumble, he did not touch the ball ever again. Um, and, he, he, you know, he's a fullback. He doesn't touch the ball. That's not his thing. Points for the Dolphins here. Solid game from Tua. The running game wasn't tremendous, but it was there enough. Tyreek Hill looked good. Jalen Waddell had the one big play, but then he came down with an injury. Um, You know, if they don't have their two big dogs out there with Waddell and Hill, they've got, you know, Robbie Chosen's on this roster. Uh, Devon Achan coming off of an injury. Raheem Mostert's pretty darn good, was good back in San Francisco as well. They've got a little bit of that depth on the Dallas side. It was CeeDee Lamb and everyone else, and CeeDee Lamb didn't touch the ball for a large stretch of this game. I mean, 253 for Dak, a buck 18 of it to CD, one of his touchdowns to CD. Jake Ferguson's okay. Would I say he's an improvement on Dalton Schultz? No. Would I say he's a massive step down of Dalton Schultz? No. Neither one of them's Jason Witten, but then again, you're talking about a guy that's a Hall of Fame candidate, so you're not really going to get that. What are you going to do? Um, Dallas put up a good fight. We'll talk about them on the loser side of this, but it's a big win for Miami, both because they clinch a playoff spot, they keep the heat off them a little bit as the Bills are only two back with two to go, uh, and oh, by the way, Miami's going to have to play Baltimore this Sunday. Um, big one. Big win for Miami. Next in the winner circle here, we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I tend to think they may get a little bit of an edge. Now, this is Trevor Lawrence dealing with his third injury at some point. He's not going to play this week. Um, that news has already come down. But going into this game, he was coming off of a concussion had an ankle before, and then in this game at some point he sustains the shoulder injury. I mean, I'm not blaming it all on the injuries, because let's be honest, 
the Jaguars did not look good in this game. They did not. And Tampa Bay, you know, they put it to them, 30-12. to 12. Granted, the game's in Tampa, but shut them out in the first half. It's 20 to nothing. Baker looks solid, 26-35, 283, two touchdowns. Rashad White did enough on the ground, mixed in some receiving yardage as well. You know what? Pretty big win, and the defense played tremendous. Tremendous. Travis Etienne in this game winds up with nine touches for 31 yards. I mean, it's not going to be enough for this Jaguar team. It's just not. Um, huge win for Tampa Bay, especially considering it is a crowded NFC South. We've got two other teams to discuss in here. And, you know, I'm going to put Cleveland in here as a candidate for big winner. Because Cleveland is playing Houston, granted. Houston with no uh, C.J. Stroud. And they're getting blown out at one point in this game. The reason I put Cleveland in here is because they've lost their lead running back. They've lost their starting quarterback. They've had injuries at other skill positions. They've had injuries on the defense here and there. You know what? I'm proud of Cleveland. Is it a huge win? If Stroud was there, it would have been a big one. Was it huge? No, but I just think they deserve a nod. Granted, we could sprinkle in the fact that they won on Thursday Night Football, but, I mean, is that really much more of a victory than beating the Texans? Texans are a playoff-caliber team when they had their QB. The Jets, not looking great, and their QB's been gone for quite some time. Biggest win, and you knew who it had to be. It's got to be Baltimore, right? And I have a complicated relationship with the Baltimore fan. Because here we were, not too long ago, I believe it was one week ago to the day, I was discussing how they beat Jacksonville by 16, but I wasn't impressed. I simply wasn't. I thought they had a lot of things break their way, and I thought, you know, it's not like they put it down on them. They put it down on San Francisco, right? The Jacksonville game, they missed some field goals, an unforced error on a fumble by Lawrence, then they had the timing before halftime. No. Brock Purdy threw four interceptions in this game. Two of which on deflections. One of those deflections was due to a play made by the defense, right? The one that hit Kittle, whatever, but jump up, swat the ball, great interception. The try to make a tight throw in the red zone early in this game, Kyle Hamilton came down with that one. A solid, And even the one tipped off of Kittle, I think Hamilton got pushed down and then hustled to get there. Tremendous play out of their defense. Am I going to tell you their offense is world-beating? No. I'm going to tell you Lamar Jackson's a... MVP frontrunner, do I, as we sit here right now, think that Lamar Jackson's stat line is an MVP stat line? Um, I'm not going to lie to the people, right? I'm not here to lie to you. You take a look at the year he won the MVP in 19. 66% completion percentage, 3,000 passing yards, a little hair over. 36 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions. And he chalked in seven rushing touchdowns. This year, he's got significantly less rushing yards. He's got five touchdowns. He could catch that seven. But on the passing side, I mean, it's 19 touchdowns. Like, what is that? Like a 1975 stat line for an MVP candidate? Like, look, I I think Lamar Jackson's a tremendous quarterback. I'm not trying to rip the guy. I'm just saying, if we're talking MVP numbers, it's it's not exactly going to be a memorable year. Uh, I mean, even in two games... Let's say he goes crazy and he somehow puts up like eight or nine total touchdowns. I I mean, what are we talking, like mid-30s? I think a year like this reminds me, and I love to cross sports. I don't know if you love it or hate it, but let me know what you think. It reminds me of 
years where a pitcher is considered an MVP candidate in baseball. It's a year where the hitters didn't differentiate themselves, or maybe there's two teammates and you can't really decide on which one's the better one. And then, you know, lo and behold, you wind up with Justin Verlander having an MVP trophy or Clayton Kershaw having an MVP trophy. I think this might be the year you see someone talking about a Christian McCaffrey, a Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, for a legitimate NFL MVP candidacy. Where are we right now on the defensive side? Could you talk about maybe a sack leader being an MVP candidate? TJ Watt's got 17 sacks. I, it would have to be about five or six in the last two weeks to push him over the edge to even be a candidate, if I'm being blunt. Um, I'm not here to be negative, though. We went optimist this week. Lamar was tremendous in this game. I'm a little concerned about their running game minus Lamar. 19 carries, 57 yards. Not tremendous. You add Lamar in there, 26 carries, over 100 yards. All right, now we're talking. Um, But hey, that's where they are. Zay Flowers with some good grabs. Isaiah likely pitching in now and again and kind of fades into the background. Um, Odell Beckham was on the field, confirmed. Can this Baltimore team win the Super Bowl? Defensively, I think they are really, really good. Um, Offensively, I think it's still the same game plan it's always been. And that's where the defense comes in. Like, it's a Lamar Jackson Baltimore team. And they never field really a top, you know, echelon receiving core. So what you're going to need to do is somehow, whether it be special teams or a big fluke play, you need to get up on them and turn them into a passing team. And look, he can scramble with the best of them of all time. But eventually, if you're building that lead and holding that lead, and presumably if you're a playoff team, you've got a decent defense, uh, try and protect it and just play keep away. Or rather, force him to try and put up points in a short period of time. But we're being positive. Biggest win of the week has to be Baltimore. Now for number three in the standout seven, we get to our usual negativity. Let's go biggest loss of the week. And we've got a lot of teams in here. Let's start with San Francisco because we were just talking about them, right? I don't think there's any way. Oh, by the way, before we completely move on, number two for the wins is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay beating an in-state rival, beating a legitimate playoff team at home, right? Their home. Baker looked great pushing towards the playoffs. They're in a, a... flat-footed race with Atlanta and New Orleans. Tampa Bay looking great. Miami would probably have to be number three. Uh, Atlanta four, and then Cleveland at five. We did it out of order, as I said. Um, Who cares about order for this one? We'll rank them at the end. San Francisco, I don't think they had the biggest loss because they're still sitting in the catbird seat in the National Football Conference. Right now, they're in a three-way tie, technically, for the one seed, but due to tiebreaker, they are the one seed. Well, who do the 49ers have left? They've got the Commanders and the Rams. Now, the Rams might need that game. Commanders, they don't need anything. Nor can they get it if they wanted to. Uh, They're likely going to have some anger taken out on them by Chase Young. Smell a couple of sacks coming his way. Um, Will Jacoby Brissett be the guy for the Commanders? He almost let a comeback against the Jets, which we can really gloss over because it's kind of meaningless in the grand scheme. But uh, he almost let that comeback. Tremendous. Uh, Jets found a way to snatch back their W that they almost chased off. But the Niners, look, Purdy played bad. We've seen him play bad before. 
you just got to hope in the playoffs he's, he's going to be closer to the guy he was against the Eagles than the guy he was against Baltimore. Dallas Cowboys. We said we'd mention them. I think it's a pretty big loss. And it's not because they lose to a fellow contender in Miami. It's because, again, the Dallas Cowboys are in a situation where, hey, we can we can kind of try and take this division. And after snatching the power from Philly, they promptly got blown out by the Bills and then lost on the road to the Dolphins. And it doesn't get any easier because they're going to be playing a Saturday evening against the Detroit Lions. They're in a rough spot, and they are the ones that put themselves in that spot. However, they're a playoff team, and right now at 10-5, and they're probably going to be the five seed locked in unless they find a way to win the division. Can't be that mad at it if you're a Cowboy fan, I imagine. Next up, I've got the Minnesota Vikings on this list. Now, it's more of a pride thing. Obviously, the Minnesota Vikings are a playoff contender, but without Big Kirko, I don't think they're really going anywhere, right? Anywhere significant. Nick Mullins, who was supposed to be the guy after the Pastronaut was supposed to be the guy, four interceptions. I mean, they run the ball 11 times in this game for under 20 yards. It's also just, you let Detroit get over the hump against you in your house. And that's a no-no, right? That's going to sting for Viking fans, especially if they miss the postseason. Next, we've got Kansas City. Kansas City losing it. Just, oh, my goodness. Can't, what is there to say? Kansas City losing on Christmas to start the day to Aiden O'Connell and his 17 feet of passing yards. Um, no, to be fair, it was 62 yards. Their offense looked not good at all. That's that's just the way it is. You know, what do we need to take away from the Kansas City Chiefs' loss to the Vegas Raiders? Well, we thought they didn't look very good, and they still don't look very good. They fumble on the weird trick play they were trying to run. Um, yeah, I don't know. Then there's a pick six. Butker misses a kick before halftime. They wind up losing 20-14. to Admittedly, it's Christmas. My attention was elsewhere, but bad loss for them. Bad loss. I've got a three-way tie for biggest loss, and I'm going to give the edge to Indy. And it is all the teams that are not the Titans in the AFC South. Because in one week, each and every one of them had the chance to lean out in front in another flat-footed race for a division. I can't blame the Texans. Didn't have their QB running into Flacco, the elite quarterback. The Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence is nicked up, beat up, and not playing great, and they're on the road against the best team of these three. Uh, no, the Browns are better than the Bucks, but second best team. Realistically, the biggest loser of the week is the Colts. I mean, you give up almost 30, you give up 29 to the Falcons, a team that is offensively bizarre, I'm sure, to game plan against as a defense, because you see all the talent, and you go, we got to stop those guys. And then Drake London and Kyle Pitts have six catches between them, and somehow you still lost. Um, getting Pittman back this week will help, but they are in quite the pickle. They truly are. We could rank them all. Man, there's too many of them. But I'll give the edge to Indy. Biggest loss of the week. Number two would have to be Dallas. Just forever giving away the power in their division. Um, then you want to call the rest, whatever. The least meaningful one was Kansas City. Kansas City's going to win their division. They're not going to choke away their division. Um... And honestly, I don't think they realistically mind being 
a three seed or a four seed. Sure, you'd love to get the bye, but it is what it is. I mean, they're two-time champs for a reason. Right now, they're matching up with Buffalo. Obviously, wouldn't love that. Um, If they were to lose a game and have the AFC South leader jump above them, they would get Cleveland. I don't know if you love that one either, right? Um, Tough spot to be in. It's a contested, hotly contested AFC. Anyway, number four in the standout seven. Let's do a primetime wrap-up. The games we did not touch on from primetime. I think we got most of them. Oh, no, here you go. Uh, Russell Wilson's potentially final start as a Denver Bronco, which featured a 7-3 halftime score and a 26-23 final score, with the Patriots scoring 20 points in the third quarter in, if memory serves, relatively bizarre fashion. Um, Yeah, there was a special team score that was just kind of odd. I don't know. This was this was Christmas uh, Christmas Eve evening at this point. I'm half locked in. Let's be frank. I'm sure you were too. New England's not good. Um, Denver didn't look great either. Javante Williams. I swear he's a good running back. I swear he is. But this Denver team, for some reason this year, he's just you know they're not getting it done with him. Eleven carries for 24 yards. Receiving core didn't really do all that much. Um, yeah, and this will inevitably, potentially be the final start of Russell Wilson's Denver career. And we'll talk about that in a sec. Other primetime games we missed. We talked Raiders-Chiefs. The Giants-Eagles game was a mockery. A um, couple of blown calls. I mean, look, the Eagles are the better team anyway, but just a no-pass interference rolling up the sideline. Then there's a play where the Giants are going to go for it, and they call a false start on the center for moving his head. Okay. I mean, sure. Look, I get it. This Giants team is not good. This is the New Yorker in me coming out, but, like, I mean, these guys got jobbed in, like, three or four different games. Like, I know, I know if they were a playoff team, they'd be a one-and-done or whatever, and they're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. They're 5-10. and ten. We're talking about potentially, you know, an 8-7 and seven team if they get a call here and there in a couple of these games. Ugh. Hard to swallow. Um, and then you have Joe Flacco taking a nap on the bench against the Jets, and obviously, in jest, I say that. I don't think he was really napping, but I can understand how it get to you. You know, you get a little bit up there in age, and they were out there quite a bit in that first half, scoring 34 points in a half against the vaunted Robert Salad defense. Um, no Cooper, no problem. He's just going to throw the ball to David Njoku and get 134 yards out of him. Good game out of Elijah Moore and a little bit of a revenge game before, unfortunately, he was injured. We hope he's all right moving forward. A little bit of a scary one. Um, yeah, and there's your... Your primetime wrap-up. Let's go straight into it. Number five in the standout seven. Let's talk about Russell Wilson. I have been adamant, and you could scroll through if you haven't been here. First of all, thanks for tuning in. If you have, thanks for tuning in and sticking around. I have been adamant that the Russell Wilson contract is boneheaded. It doesn't make any sense. The contract extension was odd. I don't get it. Here you go. Um... Episode 139, the immediate pros and cons of the Russell Wilson contract extension. (laughs) All right, that's where we were, Lord, that is uh, 40 episodes ago. But we're still here talking about Russell Wilson's contract. They gave him this contract so quickly, you'd have thought that they were like, well, we did it with Peyton Manning, of course it'll work again. Uh, Okay. The other intriguing thing to me, and there are a couple of intriguing things out of this one, um, 
of course, credit where credit is due. Diana Rossini here. Russell Wilson is expecting to be cut by the Broncos in March. Per league sources, for almost two months, the quarterback has been starting, knowing the organization was most likely going to move on from after this season. Quote from Russell, They came up to me during the bye week and told me if I didn't change my contract, my injury guarantee, I'd be benched for the rest of the season. You signed the contract. All of a sudden, he's got to be willing to renegotiate, right? It, it's always cute because teams always come to players constantly. Oh, you, well, you got to renegotiate this, renegotiate that. What about the guy making no money, right? Love or hate Brock, Brock Purdy, and there's plenty of people that seem to hate him for some reason online. The guy's outplaying his contract by spades. Nobody nobody from the Ford Niners go, you know what, we're going to rip that up. Actually, we think since our team's playing this good, we're going to pay you X, Y, Z. No, that's not going to happen. So good on Russell and good on his representation for saying, no, I'm not, I'm not ripping up anything. I'm not ripping up a darn thing. Why would I? What do I stand to gain by helping the team? I mean, the funny thing is, Russell, in terms of numbers, is not having a bad year. I mean, the QBR has him pegged at 51, whatever. Passer rating has him at 98, right? which would be his best since his last year in Seattle. He's at 26 touchdowns to eight picks, assuming that number doesn't go up. His last year in Seattle, he was 25 to six. So I'm a little confused. His last year in Seattle, he ran for a buck 80. He fumbled six times. This year, he's fumbled 10 times, highest he's had in five years. But he's rushed for almost double that at 340. So if he's running the ball twice as often because he has to scramble a little bit more and things like that, the fumbles are going to come, I understand that. I'm not sure what Denver's course of action here is. They're going to go with Jared Stidham, is what I'm understanding. Why? What do you stand to gain? Like, I get it, you know, you don't want to be locked into something because Russell goes out there and gets hurt, yada, yada, yada. I mean, Earth to Denver, you're not even eliminated from the playoffs. You play the Chargers this week. The Raiders play Indy. Someone's got to lose. The Steelers play Seattle. That's no cakewalk. The Bengals play Kansas City. The Texans play uh, the Titans, who gave them a tough, you know, who's been giving tough fights to some teams for the last couple of weeks. And then, I mean, you're chasing the Colts, like I just said, who are playing the Raiders. You could move up here. I mean, I get it. You know, well, the analytics say we're at 12% to make the playoffs, even if we win. Yeah, analytics don't work. Analytics told you to trade for an aging star quarterback, I guess. So, I don't know. Bronco fan, let me know what you think. Comments section, social media, you know the deal. I just find it odd. Like, they're going to have to pay him either way. Like, that's the even weirder part. Is that his cap number, if he's cut, I believe the number is here. If he's cut before a certain date, I believe it's March... If he's a March release, his cap number, dead number, is like $85 million, which is preposterous. If he's cut in June, it's like 39 and then he has another one of about 50 the following year. So what you're saying is either way, you guys are going to be not contending at all next year. Because either you're spending $40 million on a guy not on the roster, or you're spending $85 million on a guy not on the roster. Okay. Sure. Um, sure. Why not? Russell's had a heck of a career. 
especially for a guy who was a third-round pick, just came in and he was immediately like a leader. He had a presence on the field. He had this weird, shifty athleticism. I don't know if he could beat you in a straight foot race, but he could juke around you enough to where he wouldn't need to. Um, great player. Obviously, they had a great defense. They had a great running game. But most Super Bowl champions are not one-dimensional. They have a great quarterback and nothing else. So I don't take away from him. Great career either way. I don't think he's done putting up 26. And I mean, if Joe Flacco can come back out of nowhere, you take a look at Joe Flacco's numbers, by the way. He's got one more game. Right? And, excuse me, no. Does he have one more or two? Take a look at the Cleveland Browns. I believe it should be. Yeah, they played in Week 17. What am I saying? He's got one more game. 13 touchdowns to 8 picks already. He has 14 touchdowns in the last three years. I mean, the last time he had more than 13 touchdowns was 2017. The following year, he was benched when they were 4-5 and five for Lamar Jackson. He was 12 touchdowns to six interceptions. Intriguing. Um, wow. Eight interceptions is kind of high, but he did have like five of them in a two-game span there. Uh, either way, I think Russell Wilson's got some left in the tank here. Um, according to Cody Benjamins in NFL on CBS Post, some targets potentially for Russell Wilson. Atlanta? Okay. I could get behind that. It'd have to be with a new coach, I think. Maybe, I don't know. Number two, the New York Giants? Maybe. I'm not sure how that would go, but I could get behind it. Washington? I guess the Sam Howell experiment has dead and gone. It's dead and buried. If, if Howell winds up getting cut, someone's going to sign him. Like, he's a decent enough QB. Anyway, uh, New England? Mm, I don't see that one. I don't. These are in order, by the way. I don't see that one because I don't think New England is ready to contend for anything. I think they're in a tough division, and I think they are kind of bereft of talent. Quarterback is not their only concern. We don't even know who their coach is going to be. We don't even know if Belichick's going to stay. Number five, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I could see that. Slide right in, theoretically. Number six, the Raiders. I could see that as well. Then again, they did just sign Garoppolo. Not sure how that's going to go. Number seven, the Buccaneers. I don't think the Buccaneers are in a market for a QB. I'm not going to lie to you there. Mr. Cody Benjamin, I'm not going to lie to you. I do not think they are in the market for a QB. You know why I say that? Because Baker Mayfield's got pretty similar stats right now. 26 touchdowns to eight picks. He's got 3,600 yards. He's got some rapport with the guys there, with the coaching staff. They may win this division. Is he as athletic as Russell? No. However, he's 28 going on 29, and Russell is 35 going on 36. That's a big gap. That's a big gap. Not to mention, this year, Baker's trending to set a career high in rushing yards. How's that? And he's only got eight fumbles. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, but weird, weird, weird situation in Denver. The extension never made sense, and it shocks no one that it fell through, right? That it, that it failed, rather. Also, you're hearing, oh, well, Sean Payton didn't pick Russell Wilson. Well, he kind of did when he took the job. Did he not realize that the quarterback under a long-term contract was going to be his quarterback? Did he? I'm confused. And he went to the press conference and kind of danced around what was going on. Well, I can't bench all the receivers. Well, I can't bench all the linemen. You can bench whoever the hell you want. You're the coach. You could go out there and take the snaps if you want to. Uh, if you think it's best for the team. All right. Number six in the standout seven, keeping with the QB 
shuffle narrative here. Uh, for Pittsburgh this week, it's going to be Mason Rudolph again. Pickett with, I believe, a limited participant in practice, not ready to go. Jaron Hall is going to get to go for the Minnesota Vikings. So we went from Cousins to Mullins to Hall to Dobbs to Mullins to Hall again. Uh, Hall suffering an injury a couple of weeks ago. And you know what? He's got some mobility. Let's see what he can do. Hasn't really gotten a chance to prove it on the NFL level. Well, let's give him a chance. Um, admittedly, I'm not super confident in his chances. Sunday night football, taking on the Green Bay Packers the following week in Detroit against the Lions. But you know what? Sometimes you get thrown to the Wolves and you come back leading the pack, right? That's what they say. Uh, oh, that never happens? Yeah, whatever. Um, also, C.J. Beathard going to be in, as we mentioned before. Trevor Lawrence is not going to be good to go for the Jaguars this week, so it's going to be Beathard. Um, more quarterback news. Dorian Thompson-Robinson going to be placed on IR with that hip injury he suffered. Um, which leads me to something that is completely unrelated. We need to talk about comeback player of the year. At the midpoint of the year, my comeback player of the year was Tua Tungavailoa. And my rationale is we were having legitimate discussions on this program, and by we I mean me and however many of you were listening, that this might completely derail Tua's career because it's just so scary the injury he had sustained, multiple concussions, rapid succession, it took him a long time to get back, and he looks tremendous out there. And the Dolphins are a contender for the one seed. He's a contender for the MVP, theoretically. So I had him as my comeback player of the year. At the beginning of the year, I had multiple candidates. I had Tua in there with Derek Carr and Michael Thomas. Derek Carr is underperformed. Michael Thomas is injured again, which is tradition. But it's got to be Joe Flacco. Right, And I've seen this a little bit of a debate, and I haven't really seen the other side of it. So I'm kind of arguing against the straw man here, but Vegas sets odds for a reason. DeMar Hamlin is currently the odds-on favorite to be the comeback player of the year. I have no problem with the NFL acknowledging the hardships that DeMar Hamlin has sustained. I have no problem with them celebrating that he made the decision to come back and play in the NFL and has been able to do so. However... He has two tackles. He hasn't played in two-thirds of their games. So, and look, you go back to the offseason, I was of the opinion he shouldn't come back. I think your health is more important. Being there for your family, being there for the rest of your life is more important than the NFL. I think the Bills' ownership and or the league office should have set him a big, cushy contract offer to work in the league office as some XYZ liaison or in the front office of the Bills, blah, blah, blah. I think that was much safer. Obviously, that was not the route that was taken. But to give him the award over someone like Flacco, who, as I just told you before, has more touchdowns this year at 38 than he had at 35, 36, and 37 combined in less games. Like, come on. This is kind of a Cinderella run. And... Comeback Player of the Year has some Cinderella elements to it, in my opinion. I think he should be the hands-down favorite, and I think he should win. Like I said, no disrespect to DeMar Hamlin, but let's be frank. Usually this is an award that is tied to either returning from an injury to a level of productivity, or returning from a downturn in your career 
two level of productivity. Number seven in the standout seven. We got a weird one here. Wanted to talk a little bit as we have ad nauseum, it feels like, about Jim Harbaugh's contract offer from the University of Michigan. He was supposedly offered, see if I can get the exact terms here, 10 years, $125 million, with a clause that he will not negotiate with NFL teams at least this coming year, if not period. Now, that is a lot of money. That is a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, However, does he want to stay in Michigan? Well, I tend to think it's going to come down to how well the Wolverines do this coming week in the college football playoff. If he's able to achieve the ultimate goal and win the national championship, I think he may be able to walk away. Also, it's going to come down to what kind of punishments we're talking here because Pete Carroll leaving USC also had to do with the fact that they were being sanctioned for certain things that Pete Carroll and the coaching staff and the recruiting was doing, which was not exactly considered on the up and up by the NCAA. Well, if there's going to be big restrictions coming down, I don't want to have to deal with those. I reap the fruits of the labor and I'm going to go coach the LA Chargers, which is supposedly a spot that is interested in hiring him. Uh, Can't blame them in the slightest. The Bears apparently interested as well. Can't blame them in the slightest. He'd be a massive Massive get for any team that brings him in, to be frank. Um, Especially considering what we saw him do with Alex Smith, really revitalize Alex Smith's career, right? Colin Kaepernick's development was solely under Jim Harbaugh. You know what I mean? This guy seems to know what he's doing. He's been to a Super Bowl. He'd be a huge get. Just want to throw out $125 million. Imagine how much they'd have to raise the tuition to make that money up. News and notes here before we get into the pick'em portion of the episode. Uh, Jerick McKinnon of the Kansas City Chiefs 2 IR. He's going to be out for the rest of the regular season. TJ Hawkinson out for the season with a significant knee injury for the Vikings, which is a big blow to their playoff hopes. Um, CJ Stroud cleared from concussion protocol. We'll look at the injury report before we pick the Texans game this week, but it's big news that he made it out of the protocol. Hollywood Brown to injured reserve for the Arizona Cardinals. Not playing for much, but worth noting. Uh, Just a little teaser. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about the all-name team that's coming up during the postseason. During the Pro Bowl week, we'll fill it in with some awards and some yada, yada, yadas. Um, Another one I wanted to throw in here, it came out, excuse me, before we get there, Jair Alexander, I don't know if you guys followed this, suspended by Green Bay. They're in a playoff hunt, and they're suspending one of their top corners because he was being weird and, like, went to take the coin toss, even though he wasn't voted a captain. Or maybe he wasn't voted a captain that week to take the coin toss, but then he said he's from Charlotte, and they were against the Panthers. The whole thing was odd. The whole thing was really odd. Not to mention, like, you guys barely beat the Panthers. That was my big takeaway. Like, we're talking about all this stuff, but realistically, like, the Panthers are bad, guys. You guys want to be a playoff team? You, can't, you can barely beat the Panthers? All right, anyway. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, reportedly retiring after this season. Currently uh, acting as a backup quarterback for, I believe, the Detroit Lions. Yeah. So maybe we'll see him in their Week 18 matchup if they've got everything clamped up. I just wanted to mention it because I'm a big Teddy Bridgewater guy. I was a fan when he was in Minnesota, and it was a very brief tenure prior to the knee injury. I remember watching the knee injury. It was kind of surreal. Um, out at a restaurant. It's just He never bounced back 
to that level. I mean, it's not like he was, you know, young Robert Griffin or one of these super crazy ascendant right off the bat, but he had the skill set there. He was a very smart decision maker. He had good athleticism. He had a pretty good arm, right? That felt like someone that could blossom into a 10-plus year starter in the league, and he has two years with Minnesota, 11-5 and five the second year. Gets back in the starting lineup a few years later for New Orleans. Nine touchdowns in five games. Winds up starting some games for Carolina. He goes 4-11. and 11. Winds up in Denver. He throws 18 touchdowns to seven picks. They go 7-7. Seven and seven. And then he's in Miami as a backup, and now in Detroit as a backup. I mean, it's sad to watch. Like, look, there's plenty of players. Even you go all the way back to high school, right? They're five-star recruits. Blue chip. Something falls through. They don't have the academics. They don't have this. They don't have that. Their game doesn't scale. Maybe they're not the best with learning the playbooks, with learning this, new schemes, yada, yada, yada. But he made it through all that. He made it through the high school phase. He made it through college when it's just crowded and everything. Makes it to the NFL. He's succeeding on the highest level, and then it's the injury. I mean, it's it's not wholly unlike the Odell Beckham. And I know Odell Beckham was a super megastar, something like that, right? doing things we hadn't seen at the receiver position that early in his career ever before. But the knee injury, and he just hasn't been the same. It it really, for me, kind of also makes you admire someone like Adrian Peterson who came back from a knee injury and, I mean, he was AP for all intents and purposes, right? All day AP. Um, man, shout out to Teddy Bridgewater. Was it the best career ever? No, I'm sure there's some regret in there. There's some Derrick Rose regret. Right, some Sean Livingston regret, but he did all he could. He truly did. Shout out to you, Teddy. Maybe the maybe the Lions get your ring on the way out. Maybe maybe the Lions talk you into sticking around as a backup a little longer. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven for this week's episode. And that'll take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion. Last week we were eight and eight. Not great. We started six and two, folks. 8-8 eight eight to end the week. Let's hope we do a little better. This week, our first pick is going to be the Detroit Lions heading to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Saturday night football. This is listed as a 5-15 Eastern on NFL.com. I That can't be right. That cannot be right. We'll, we'll do some... I'm going to go to the Cowboys website and see what they list it as. Because 5.15 Eastern for a game between two teams that are not West Coast teams just doesn't make sense. Dallas Cowboys' official website has it as a 7.15 p.m. Central. That's 8.15 Eastern, folks. It's it's Saturday night football, not Saturday afternoon football. This one's going to be on all the networks, ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, ESPN+, Deportes, and NFL+. For the Lions, they're going to be without tight end Brock Wright with a hip injury. Linebacker James Houston with an ankle. And DB Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with a pectoral. Questionable. Corner Cam Sutton with a toe. Cowboys will be without their backup running back Rico Dowdle with an ankle injury. And run-stuffing D-lineman Jonathan Hankins with a knee-slash-ankle. Questionable. Offensive lineman Tyron Smith with a back. And D-lineman Viliami Fehoko Jr. This is a huge game for the Cowboys. Not only because... They can kind of spoil the Lions' chances of trying to sneak up the seeding, but because they need to keep the Eagles having to win games, right? 
They've fumbled the last two weeks, but this could be a huge one. Not to mention, losing to Miami kind of put them in a weird spot in a lot of people's eyes. They need to win a game against a really good contender like they did against Philly. Because Philly kind of got diminished in everyone's eyes as well. And you know what? They're doing it at home. I think Detroit was riding high off of a big, big, big. They clinched last week. I'm going to take the Cowboys to win this one at home. That'll take us to our Sunday slate. Just one game on the 30th of December. New Year's Rockin' Eve, folks. 1 p.m. slate gets kicked off with an AFC South matchup between the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans from NRG Stadium. NRG? I know it's NRG, but does anyone ever say NRG Stadium? Anyway, Titans going to be without corner Caleb Farley with a back injury. Questionable. Tight end Josh Wiley with a knee, D lineman Marlon Davidson with a groin, and corner Trey Avery with a knee as well. Texans going to be without D lineman Jonathan Greenard with an ankle. Questionable, fullback Andrew Beck with a calf, D lineman Will Anderson Jr. with an ankle, D lineman Malik Collins with a hip, Sheldon Rankins with an ankle, and corner Steven Nelson with a foot slash hamstring slash hand. Now, here's where we stand with C.J. Stroud. He is not on the injury report. He will start this game for the Houston Texans, and that's all I needed to hear. Stroud back out there. I'm back on board. I think it might be a little rough. The Titans have been being competitive in some of these games. We talked about maybe teams trading for head coaches. Talked about Tomlin maybe being available. Talked about Belichick maybe being available. If I'm shopping for a head coach, I might call the Titans and see, hey, you know, you guys may be interested in moving on from Mike Vrabel. Pretty good coach to me. Although, I don't think he's going to have enough. Uh, They keep these games close. Texans without Tank Dell out there. It's doable. I'm going to take the Texans and say they get over the hump with the boost of their QB coming back. Next, we've got the Atlanta Falcons heading to Soldier Field to take on the Bears. Falcons listing just one questionable O-lineman Caleb McGarry with a knee injury. Bears going to be without wide receiver Darnell Mooney, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable, tight end Cole Komet with a knee, and O-lineman Lucas Patrick, also with a knee injury. I didn't take the Bears last week. I took the Bears to lose, excuse me, yeah, to lose to the Cardinals. And the Cardinals, I mean, they didn't look great, but uh, the Bears outplayed them. I mean, Khalil Herbert on the ground with a buck 12, field sprinkling in 97. They ran all over him. Um, can they do that again this week against... An Atlanta Falcon team that really needs to win? I'm going to guess that they can't. Although I have seen some edits already about the Bears taking a quarterback and trading Justin Fields to those Atlanta Falcons, and that would not shock me. Um, Give me the Falcons to win this one on the road. Next, the Miami Dolphins. Yes, this is a 1 o'clock game. The Miami Dolphins head to M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore to take on the current one seed the Baltimore Ravens. Dolphins going to be without their number two wideout and Jalen Waddell with an ankle injury. Doubtful, O-lineman Robert Hunt with a hammy. Questionable, a laundry list for the Finns. Running back Raheem Mostert with a knee-slash-ankle. Three O-linemen and Liam Eikenberg with a calf-slash-ankle. Austin Jackson with an oblique and Lester Cotton with a hip. Three DBs, three name-brand DBs with Jalen Ramsey with a knee, Xavier Howard with a hip-slash-thumb, and Javon Holland with knees yet again. Ravens going to be without just one corner Jalen Armour Davis with a concussion. Questionable, wide receiver Zay Flowers with a calf. O-lineman Kevin Zeitler with a knee-slash-quad. Linebacker Delshawn Phillips with a shoulder. 
corner Brandon Stevens with an ankle, and safety Kyle Hamilton with a knee injury after his huge game against the Niners. This is an interesting one for me. Admittedly, I was leaning Miami. I'm pretty darn high on Miami. Um, however, without Jalen Waddell and with Raheem Mostert on the injury report, I'm going to give the edge to Baltimore. As much as I want to give it to Tua and Tyreek, who can carry an offense on his own, without his running mate and with Mustard nicked up. Mostert, excuse me. Um, Mustard is close enough, I should say. That might as well be his nickname. Raheem Mustard back there. No, yeah, but in all seriousness, going to give it to Baltimore to continue locking up that one seed in the AFC. Next, we've got an NFC South showdown from the Pirate ship down at Raymond James. New Orleans Saints head down there to take on Baker and the Bucks. Saints could be without safety. Lonnie Johnson with an injury and O-lineman Ryan Ramchek with a knee. Questionable, both running backs in Kendra Miller with an ankle and Alvin Kamara with an illness. D-lineman Isaiah Foskey with a quad and Peyton Turner with a toe. And their punter, Lou Headley, with an illness. Bucks on the other side could be without some name brands in Shaq Barrett at linebacker and Carlton Davis at corner, as well as D-lineman Mike Green with a calf, wide receiver Rakeem Jarrett with a quad, and tight end Coe Heeft with a shoulder injury. I'm going to take the Bucks. I think the Bucks are the better team at this point, hands down. Uh, beginning of the year, I was pretty high on the Saints. I thought Derek Carr would have a bounce back with this, you know, receiving core. Michael Thomas hasn't been there. Olave's been good. Rashid Jeed's pretty good. Um, hasn't really been a crazy year, I would say. For Alvin Kamara, granted he had the suspension, but he's looking at, you know, 650 rushing yards, which right now would be a career low. Two games to go. Likely he catches one of his other years. Um, in terms of the receiving game, where I thought maybe huge, you know, he's put up about average numbers for his career. Uh, 460. Last year he was 490. Not much of a difference. Give me the Bucks to win this one over the disappointing Saints at home. Speaking of disappointing, we've got the New England Patriots heading to Buffalo in our next matchup, also in the 1 o'clock slate. Pat's going to be without wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster with an ankle injury. Questionable special teamer slash wide receiver Matthew Slater with a hammy. Tight end Hunter Henry with a knee. D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee. Linebacker Anthony Jennings with a knee. And a whole laundry list of DBs. Jonathan Jones with a knee. Sean Wade with a hip. Miles Bryant with a chest. Jabril Peppers with a hammy. And Kyle Duggar with an illness. The Bills, on the other hand, listing just four on their injury report. On the offensive side, Justin Shorter at wide receiver with a hammy. On the defensive side, 2D lineman and A.J. Epinesa with a rib and Daquan Jones with a pectoral. And wrapping up the questionable sheet for the Bills, safety DeMar Hamlin with a shoulder injury. I'm taking the Bills to win this one and thoroughly be back on the warpath after their early to midseason exaggerated collapse. I mean, maybe it's not exaggerated. They totally did collapse, but they bounced back pretty well, pretty significantly. Next, we got a battle of the birds, although it probably won't be a great one, as the Cardinals at 3-12 and head to Philly to take on the 11-4 and Eagles. Cardinals, as we mentioned, going to be without wide receiver Marquise Hollywood-Brown with a heel injury. Also missing this one, 2D lineman in Lecky Fotu and Jonathan Ledbetter with a hand and knee injury, respectively. Questionable starting quarterback Kyler Murray with an illness. Linebacker Owen Popo with an ankle injury and corners. Bobby Price with a quad and Garrett Williams with a knee. Eagles going to be without big play Slay in this one in their secondary knee injury. Questionable Albert O at tight end with a hammy and Zach Cunningham at linebacker 
with a knee injury. Give me the birds, the Eagles, that is, to win this one easily at home. Next, we have a battle of the cats after the battle of the birds as the Carolina Panthers head down to Jacksonville to take on the struggling Jaguars. Jags going to be without their lead QB, as we said. Trevor Lawrence missing this one with a shoulder injury. Throwing shoulder, that is. Questionable. Wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee slash hemi and O-lineman Cam Robinson with a knee. Panthers going to be without corner Troy Hill, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable for this one. O-lineman Ikem Ikwanu with foot injury. Uh, two linebackers and Frankie Louvu with a quad and, a, and Marquis Haynes with a back. And corner J.C. Horn with a toe injury. You know, I talk about how bad the Panthers are, but they're running into a backup QB in this one. This could be a game for them to steal. And it could be one of the big impacts they have on the whole season, if we're being honest. Pushing the Jaguars all the way down to 8-8 eight and eight and making them all the more vulnerable pushing into Week 18. It would be massive. It might have scheduling impacts, depending on how things shake out. But I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Give me the Jaguars to win this one at home. Next, the Vegas Raiders head to Indy to take on the Colts. Raiders, going to be without tight end Michael Meyer with a toe injury, or Mayer rather. Doubtful, running back Josh Jacobs with a quad. Questionable, offensive lineman Andre James with an ankle. And Jermaine Illuminor with a knee. Colts, going to be without running back Zach Moss with a forearm injury. Questionable, expected to play, from what I'm hearing. Michael Pittman at wide receiver recovering from a shoulder injury as well as clearing the concussion protocol, as well as wide receiver DJ Montgomery with a groin, offensive lineman Braden Smith with a knee, linebacker Cameron McGrone with an illness, and corner Kenny Moore the second with a back injury. I like the way the Raiders have played under Antonio Pierce. I think their defense has been great. Their offense could be better, but they're going up against a Colts team that is beatable. Very beatable. However, I'm not sure... Uh, sugar and spice and everything nice is going to be enough for the Raiders to piece it together. I mean, McConnell managed 60 passing yards against the Chiefs. If he throws for 60 yards in this game, I don't think it's going to be enough. I don't know how you go from scoring 63 points to throwing for 60 yards, but that's the world we live in. Give me the Colts to win this one at home and keep the pressure on the Jaguars and the Texans. Next, in a stacked 1 o'clock slate, we've still got two games to go. The L.A. Rams head to New Jersey to take on the New York football Giants. Rams going to be without corner Trey Tomlinson with a hamstring injury. Questionable for this one, wide receiver Puka Nakua with a hip. Two O-linemen, Alaric Jackson with a thigh and Joe Noteboom with a foot. And linebacker Ernest Jones with an illness. Doubtful for the Giants, tight end Lawrence Cager with a groin injury. Questionable for the Giants. DB Deontay Banks with a shoulder, and wide receiver Wandale Robinson with a quad. The Rams should win this one pretty comfortably. Uh, we breezed through the Giants this week. We didn't bother wasting time on the end, potentially, of the Linsanity run. Um, although Tyrod Taylor, admittedly, I mean, he threw a good deep ball. Right? I think he had one good deep ball against the Eagles, but the first drive he came in and scored, they just handed the ball off three times. Like, Tommy DeVito can do that. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, I don't know what they stand to gain playing Tyrod Taylor. I'm not trying to diss Tyrod. I think he's a good veteran quarterback. He's a good backup quarterback. But considering the fan base has never been united on Daniel Jones, why not let DeVito just finish the season? And if he plays poorly, he plays poorly. You move on. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe they wouldn't have moved on anyway. Maybe they're going to move on either way, so they didn't really care. 
Either way, I got the Rams winning this one in Jersey. Next, we've got a very quick turnaround for a Chase Young revenge game. The Niners head to the DMV to take on the Commanders. They're going to be without a handful of players in this one, leading with wide receiver Juwan Jennings, who's in the concussion protocol, tight end Ross Dwelly with an ankle, O-lineman Jalen Moore with a concussion, D-lineman Eric Armstead with a foot-slash-knee, and safety Jair Brown with a knee injury. Questionable, running back Jordan Mason with an illness, wide receiver Danny Gray with a shoulder, O-lineman Aaron Banks with a toe, linebacker Demetrius Flanagan fouls with an illness, and corner Ambry Thomas with a knee-slash-hand. If I haven't mentioned it already, all injury reports per NFL.com. Thank you to them. Obviously, I mean, it's the league. It's their job. But either way, if you're wondering where we get the injury reports, if they're ever, you know, a little hokey, that's your answer. Um, Commanders on the other side, coming without offensive lineman Charles Leno Jr. with a calf, Tyler Larson with a knee, and three DBs in Kendall Fuller with a knee, Benjamin St. Juice with a concussion, and Percy Butler with a wrist. Questionable, another O-lineman in Andrew Wiley with an elbow, and their potential starting QB in Jacoby Brissett with a hammy. It doesn't matter if it's Jacoby Brissett, Sam Howell, or Joe Theismann. I'm going to take the 49ers to win this one on the road. Next, we push into a light afternoon slate. 4.05 p.m., our only game there, is a Super Bowl rematch from quite some time ago. The Pittsburgh Steelers take on the Seattle Seahawks from Lumen Field in Seattle. Seahawks going to be without wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge with a rib injury, O-lineman Jason Peters with a foot, DN Mario Edwards with a knee, Frank Clark at linebacker with a not-injury-related, and safety Jamal Adams with a knee. Questionable, some brand names to lead it off in running back Kenneth Walker with a shoulder-slash-illness, and wide receiver DK Metcalf with a back injury. Wrap it up with two linebackers and Nick Ballore with a knee and Jordan Brooks with an ankle and corner Devon Witherspoon with a hip. Steelers going to be without three on the defensive side, and Elandon Roberts with a peck. Safeties, Trenton Thompson with a neck, and Minka Fitzpatrick with a knee. Questionable, presumably their lead QB in Kenny Pickett with an ankle injury, though we'll find out if he's truly their lead QB uh, come game time, I'm guessing. I'm going to take, take Seattle to win this one at home. I'm not buying the Mason Rudolph experience. I- I'm not buying that he'll play the entirety of this game, if I'm being completely honest. Give me Seattle to win this one and stay in pretty good spot for the playoffs. Next, we've got a game that sounded a heck of a lot better a few months ago. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs at 425. For the Bengals, two listed as questionable. A huge one in wide receiver Jamar Chase with a shoulder and corner Jalen Davis with a groin. Chiefs going to be without their star receiver Kadarius Toney with a hip injury and O-lineman Donovan Smith with a neck. Questionable. Running back Isaiah Pacheco with a shoulder-slash-concussion. Fellow running back Clyde Edwards-Elair with an illness. Wide receiver Mecole Hardman with a thumb. And one of their star on defense, corner Legereus Sneed with a calf injury. The Bengals technically still in it. They're 8-7. I'm not certain. You know, a few weeks ago I was like, man, this team could be scary if Browning's going to play like he played. Eh, he's not going to. He's not going to consistently out. There's a reason he's a backup quarterback. Um, I don't think the Chiefs, this might be the least intimidating the Chiefs have been entering a playoff push in a while, but it's kind of weird because I've said before, you know, I mentioned it about the Bills, the team that's usually pretty good and, oh, they can't get over the hump. The year that everyone writes them off, that's when they make their run. 
I don't think anyone wants to write off Kansas City, the defending champions, the two-time champions in the Mahomes-Reed era. Either the Chiefs turn it around a little bit and they win this game, which I'm going to pick them to do, or I could easily see them losing this one to a Jamar Chase-less, Joe Burrow-less Bengals team and continuing to limp into the postseason. Um, I think if you're a Chief fan, you might be rooting for the latter to try and force the team in the offseason to really go out and get some weapons at the receiver position instead of just picking up guys that are kind of athletic who aren't really putting up much for you. Um, Either way, that's for another day. I've got the Chiefs winning this one at home. Next, our last game of the week is an AFC West. Excuse me, no. Last afternoon game of the week. Fellow 425 kick, I should say. AFC West matchup. We've got the LA Superchargers heading to Denver to take on the Russell Wilson-less Broncos. Chargers going to be without Josh Palmer at wideout, as well as Keenan Allen and Joey Bosa. Doubtful. Two linebackers in Kenneth Murray and Tanner Muse, and D-lineman Nick Williams. Questionable. O-lineman Zion Johnson, tight end Nick Vanette, and DB Dean Leonard. Broncos going to be without Cortland Sutton, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as O-lineman Alex Palzuski. Questionable. Running back Dwayne Washington. Wide receivers Jerry Judy and Marvin Mims Jr. Why did I speed through the injury report? Well, I mean, come on. I'm gonna, You know what? I, I don't even know who to take to win this game. Because the Chargers with Easton Stick haven't really been anything noteworthy, period. Um, but the Broncos without Cortland Sutton, without Russell Wilson, is Javante Williams just going to put up huge numbers? I have no reason to believe that. I'm going to take the Chargers to win this on the road and rub salt in the wound a little bit for the Denver Bronco fan base. Our final game of Week 17 Sunday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers at 7-8 head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings at 7-8. Packers' injury report is as follows. Doubtful. Wide receiver Christian Watson with a hamstring injury. Running back Emmanuel Wilson with a shoulder. Tight end Luke Musgrave with a kidney O-lineman Luke Tenuto with an ankle and linebacker Devondre Campbell with a neck injury. Questionable, wide receiver Dontavian Wicks with a chest-slash-ankle. D-lineman TJ Slayton with a knee-slash-foot. And two DBs in Robert Rochelle with a neck and Darnell Savage with a shoulder. The Vikings on the other side are going to be without wide receiver Jalen Naylor with a concussion. As well as D-lineman Jaquelin Roy with an ankle injury. And two DBs in Theo Jackson with a toe and Byron Murphy Jr. with a knee. Questionable. Wide receiver Jordan Addison with an ankle, one of my Offensive Rookie of the Year candidates, uh, as well as linebacker Troy Dye with a wrist and corner Mikai Blackman with a shoulder-slash-illness. It's Jaron Hall against Jordan Love in primetime, and Dolphins-Ravens is a 1 o'clock kick. What a time to be alive. I'm going to take the Packers to win this one on the road. I have seen little to nothing of Jaron Hall in the NFL, and I don't know what we're going to see. I know Justin Jefferson has battled some injuries this year. I know Jair Alexander is not going to play in this game, so theoretically that should benefit the Vikings passing game. But as I said, I don't know what to expect out of Hall. Then again, if Watson's not going to go and Musgrave's not going to go and maybe Wicks isn't going to go, is this just going to be a Packers team that's going to rely very heavily on Aaron Jones doing some screen work? along with running the ball with the two-headed monster with him and Dylan, That probably gives them their best chance, I guess, play a little ball control. I don't know. Either way, I'm going to take the mediocre offense I know over the mediocre offense I don't. Give me the Packers to win this one 
And let's see what Jaron Hall's got in the tank. Now we have reached the end of the season just about, folks. So that means we don't have a Monday game to pick. We don't have a Thursday game to pick. We are completely finished with Sunday night football. The end of week 17. Week 18 is almost upon us. It's going to be a fun one, folks. Playoff positions will be up in the air. The Texans play the Colts in Week 18. The Bills play the Dolphins. The Vikings play the Lions again. The Falcons play the Saints. The Rams play the Niners. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a Pittsburgh-Baltimore game with some, some juice on it in Week 18. Either way, we're not there just yet. We're just wrapping up Week 17's picks, and that'll end the pick portion of this week's episode. Thanks for joining us. Episode number 184 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Once again, said at the beginning, but I'll wrap up with it. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday season. Hope you all stayed safe. Maybe you got some good gifts, hung out with some family, hung out with some friends. Hope you're all going to have a happy new year. As we push into 2024, that's when we'll have our next episode. Stay safe out there. Have a happy one from everyone here at Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend for the next episode. And as always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.